Everybody loved Virgil. I don't know if there was anybody that didn't like Virgil. His whole message, like his whole career is dedicated to like opening up the gate for everyone. He had the audacity to essentially put himself into this idea of the American dream and say that it's more valuable now because of my presence. And the response was that people said, yeah, you're right. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Making. I'm Brandon Pope. Today, Making Virgil Abloh. Virgil Abloh was a fashion pioneer. He redefined the words streetwear and luxury in the highest echelons of society. He climbed the ranks to become the first black person to be an artistic director at a French luxury house. The process and the end product are equally as valuable. I embrace imperfection as much as I embrace the pursuit of perfection. And as a result, he entered an elitist and exclusionary world and blew open the doors. If anyone rejected the idea of like an elite fashion world, it was him. He completely rejected that notion that fashion had to be an exclusive and closed world. His life was tragically cut short at 41 from cancer with so much more left to do. Life is so short, you can't waste even a day subscribing to what someone thinks you can do versus knowing what you can do. On today's episode, we look back at the life of a hometown hero. How do you work your way into one of the world's least accessible industries and then turn it on its head, all while uplifting a new generation? What were the years that defined Virgil Abloh? I was given this opportunity to open doors. That's why my job simply isn't just to design clothes. It's to lead by example. If I'm gonna be the first, it's the younger generation that's gonna carry the torch. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Virgil Abloh's story starts before he was born, when his parents moved from Ghana to Chicago and eventually Rockford, Illinois. I had a job opportunity in Rockford, 1979, to work with Vaspa Paint Company. And then September 30th, 1980, Virgil was born. This is Virgil's father, Nee Abloh. He and his wife have an older daughter, Edwina, and a younger son, Virgil, of course. One loving mother and son, two loving kids. Very close, very respectful. They love one another. Virgil's father worked as a distribution manager at a paint company. His wife, Eunice, was a seamstress. She started sewing back in Ghana, and up to now, she still sews. I don't believe uh, Eunice taught Virgil how to sew, but just Virgil had an intuition. He's a kid that watches what people do and comes up with the ideas. Nee called young Virgil humble, quiet, smart, and articulate. And notably, he was stellar at school, on brand for a child of immigrants with success-driven parents. My approach to raising the kids was to give them the best education as possible. Because coming from Africa, I could feel that education is very important. Through education, you can progress. Being a foreign-born 
education is the most important asset that you can give a kid. And we gave it to them. Virgil spent his summers in school and went to advanced math classes three times a week. So it comes as no surprise that at Boylan Catholic High School, he was on the honor roll for seven out of eight semesters. Did you get a, a sense of what his personality was like back then? You know, did, do you know what students really thought of him? Quiet, peaceful, gentle soul, always listening, amazing listener. This is Virgil's high school soccer coach, Eric Ice. Everybody loved Virgil. Like he was, I don't know if there was anybody that didn't like Virgil. He just was that kind of guy. I was always like floored by the fact that he was just a skater kid. He was a skater kid that liked art. Uh, he liked music, clearly liked the skater fashion because, you know, the baggy jeans and the baggy shirts and the high top shoes or whatever. And, and then on top of that, he's a soccer player. And he's in honors class. He was he had his like hand in everything. So in one of your emails to our team, you called Virgil a special soul. Uh, tell us why you used those words. It's just who he was. There was just a, well, I guess you could use the word aura about him that was so calming, so peaceful. When I finally found out about his fame, and I'm sitting there doing the deep dive on the web, like gobbling up anything I can, interviews, DJ sets, articles. And every time I they would show him on the screen, everything was like I was talking to that 18-year-old kid again. Nothing had changed. It just showed, to me at least, that despite it all, he was still the same person that he was at 18, that he was running men's fashion at Louis Vuitton. I was like an average sort of suburban kid that was skateboarding, listening to Nirvana, Beastie Boys, rap, Wu-Tang. Like you say, the music, you can think of a look. And so as I started thinking about clothing, I was always like drawn to what my initial interest was, and that was T-shirts. That's Virgil talking to The New York Times in 2017. In high school, his interest slid further into fashion and design, including soccer jerseys. Soccer fashion back then was like big, bold brands. You know, the 90s was just a very bold statement period as far as like the brands went. And he was always keen to like talk or contribute about just random soccer club fashion, you know, like where, where the direction is, we're going with this, that, and the other. I think even back then he was like just printing up T-shirts. Teenage Virgil immersed himself in the hip-hop world, and Eric saw his first spin at the turntables. I think it was his very first DJ gig. He was at Boylan High School. He was super excited. He came to soccer practice one night. He's like, Coach, you're not going to believe it. They're going to let me DJ at Boylan for a dance. And I'm like, shut up. He's like, yeah, seriously. He goes, you got to come. You got to come. And I'm like, I'll be the first one there. And I remember being a little bit late, but we arrived and it was, it was just super cool because it was back in their auxiliary gym, which was basically this humongous garage. Uh, he was set up right in the center. He had all his turntables, anything else he needed, CD player. He had like a buddy or two helping him out with sound. And then everybody was just circled around him. He was beloved at school, but that bumped up against his parents' rules and expectations. One time when he was a senior, 
in high school. Virgil's dad, knee again. He came to me and said, Dad, can you extend my curfew hours? Because his curfew hours is at night. So I told him, go and write me a three-page essay why your curfew hours should be changed. And I told him, I don't want a double line. So it took about three days. He wrote me the reasons why it should change. And I said, well, if it took you three days, I'm not going to give you an answer now. I'm going to respond by me writing, and it will take me three days. He wasn't happy about it. Nee wrote Virgil an essay of his own, essentially saying no. He said, but Dad, I'm a good kid. I never got in trouble. And I said, what you do from six to nine, what is the difference that you're going to change if I extend it? So we all agreed upon that it won't make any difference. I said, well, he never violated it. But, you know, he's a humble kid. He's not going to throw a tantum tantum and say, Dad, I'm going to do whatever. But he listens. And that's one thing I like about it. Very humble, very respectful. And I love that about my kids. And I told my kids, just be in the science field. And if you're in the science field, you will achieve whatever you would like to achieve. So that's what took him the challenge to be an engineer. He ended up at the University of Wisconsin-Madison to study engineering at his dad's request. But as he said at an alumni event in 2015, his formal education gave him something to rebel against. He read GQ and showed up to class wearing brands like Gucci or Ralph Lauren. His college roommate, Gabriel Stolman, described one of his outfits to the cut in 2017. A leather jacket with a lion's head on the back and two neon orange stripes. Virgil spent his time DJing at local bars. Then he would take the money and go shopping. When he graduated from college, he knew he loved design. So he went to architecture school at the Illinois Institute of Technology. He told GQ in 2016, I wanted to build skyscrapers because I figured if you could build the tallest building, you could design a spoon. He was, um, in a sense, a different student than other students because he was dressed differently. Right. And it turned out later that he was very much interested in fashion design. This is Frank Flurry, one of Virgil's grad school professors. Did anything stand out to him that made you think, all right, he's he's got a vision. There's going to be something he, he may he has potential here. No. <laughs> and as he describes, no sugarcoating, Virgil was just an average student. He got B's and B pluses. He uh, designed his own clothes. And if I uh, remember correctly, uh, I think his mom made his clothes. Can you describe what those clothes were like or what his fashion style was kind of like? I remember one time he came in with a jacket with a fur thing here, right, or on the back. Frank points to his collar and then he smirks like he doesn't understand Virgil's fashion. And this was pretty interesting for me. Did you see any connection between, you know, the, the architecture degree pursuit and his work in fashion? Did it surprise you at all that he took the route that he did? No, I was not surprised, right? So many people 
come from different backgrounds and they pursue a different career, right? So it was for me pretty normal. You know, design is for me not one thing. It's not about fashion. It's not about music. It's about um, it's about several things. I just remember he was particularly interested in in in, in design and graphic design. Virgil took a step deeper into the design world. He got an internship at a t-shirt design studio called Custom Kings. His attention to detail, he was always very focused and organized with how he laid things out, even down to how he would like label the projects. This is John Monopoly. He's a legend in Chicago's hip-hop scene. And around 2006, he managed a rising star named Kanye West, who just dropped his album, Late Registration. And you got to remember, this is 2006, a time when Kanye was loved by fans and critics. It's well before he had his recent controversies and went by the shorthand, yay. John was friends with the owner of the design studio, so he would swing by often. And according to Complex Magazine, Virgil knew he was in Kanye's circle, so he would lay out his designs in case John would take the bait. One day in 2006, I was at his design studio and I had just signed this group named Sabra and I was looking to get some stuff designed for them, some merch. John asked the owner of Custom Kings who he should work with. And he said he had a new intern and that his name was Virgil. Vogue and GQ have reported that Virgil skipped his graduate school graduation to meet with John. You you know what's funny? You know what's funny? I heard that story too, but I didn't know that. (laughs) He didn't tell me like that day or anything. Like I heard like, I heard about this years later. I mean, what's that say about him if he's missing his graduation to, to meet with you and have that opportunity? He's a hustler, man. He always was a hustler. He understood. You know, he was a great designer, a great creative, but he understood that, you know, for him to get on, you know, yay, yay is the, the light. You know, yay put a lot of people on, and he knew that through me, I could get him to yay, and I did. Virgil began informally interning with John, unpaid. And after four months of consistency and talent, John waited for the right opportunity to introduce him to Mr. West. He was about to release his third album, Graduation. Yay called me venting about the art director at Def Jam. He didn't like who Def Jam had assigned him as the, as his art director for the album. He was like, yeah, you know, I really need a new, a new perspective, whatever guy. And I was like, well, listen, I've been working with this kid. He's been kind of interning for me for, you know, four months. His name is Virgil. He's from Chicago. And I think that, you know, if you give him the opportunity, he could kind of be that, you know, creative arm for you. And uh, he trusted me. Talked to Virgil, tried him out, and the rest is history. So then we hear that he was working for Kanye, designing things. I thought he was building, but now he's over 18. I can go into his business and ask him, why? Because he's an adult. He chose his path. And whatever path that is not going to give him any problems, we support him. With two degrees under his belt and a foot in Kanye's door, Virgil Abloh kept hustling. 
He was young, hungry, and brimming with ideas. He was the hardest working person I've known. This is Mark Moran, a Chicago creative. He would be the last one maybe to leave a party if he was to go to a party. And he would be hearing from him 6, 7 a.m. the next morning with new ideas that he was spitballing and already working on. Mark met Virgil around 2007 through a creative hub and streetwear store in Chicago called Leaders 1354. We quickly became friends, I think, uh, just through hanging out in Wicker Park and Bucktown and kind of walking around the neighborhood and just hanging out, really just kind of talking about dreams and things of that sort. We were hanging out at um, a restaurant called Silver Cloud. It's not around anymore, but it was on the corner of uh, Wabanzia and Damon there. We were just talking about like what our goals were, what our dreams were. We were asking him what his end goal was. And uh, he was talking about how his goal was to be a creative director at a major fashion house. And at the time he was naming Chanel. I think really for anyone in Chicago at that time, at the level that we were all at, that was nearly like when you were a little kid and you'd kind of talk to your parents or friends and you're like, I want to be president when I grow up. We all... We all kind of like chuckled at it. Oh, yeah, cool. Like, uh, good luck with that. You know what I mean? And not necessarily like disregarding like the person's dream by any stretch of the imagination. But I don't think we had realized how attainable or that it even was attainable. And so that memory really sticks out because. It's okay. Take your time, buddy. Still really, really hard. Uh, That memory really sticks out just because you realize what is achievable. And, um, you know, we have conversations, people in this circle, uh, we have conversations all the time. Um, and I remember talking to someone as recently as last year and, uh, they were kind of like realizing they weren't at in their life where they wanted to be. Um, They weren't achieving their goals or they realized they were feeling like they were ultimately settling in life uh, with kind of just like what had been given to them. And I had said to them, I was like, you know, it's possible because you knew Virgil. And where you saw that it wasn't necessarily some stroke of luck. It wasn't some stroke of anything, but like the determination, hard work and focus that you realized all was achievable. And so it's something I think that singular memory, like, um, and not even just that memory, but just, I think it kind of encapsulates his being as a whole being that kind of beacon of like, you can do whatever you want. After the break, Virgil starts climbing the fashion ranks.
Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. I started at RSVP when I was forever young, so I'm still young. In 2009, Mark, Virgil, and Kanye collaborator Don Crawley put their heads together for a project. I'm working at Leaders. Mark Moran. But I remember at the time, there was all these goods that you couldn't really get in the States, like brands like Visvum and Mastermind and and some other things that just felt like more difficult to find. And you would see people who were traveling to Japan kind of come back with or whatever. And I wanted to create this higher end streetwear store that could essentially uh, make it more readily available, at least in Chicago. And I think that was the thing. It was like, it was always about putting Chicago on. You can maybe find the stuff you went to Union in LA, or maybe there was a store in New York that you could go to, but Chicago always felt a little bit left behind. So Mark starts talking to Virgil and Don C. about this idea when Virgil was about to get married to his high school sweetheart, Shannon. We reached out to Shannon, who now oversees the Virgil Abloh Foundation. She declined to comment. The day after, I think it was Virgil's wedding, I'm nearly certain it was the day after, which is kind of crazy to put in perspective that like we're having this business meeting the day after his wedding. And Virgil and Don were sold. A few months later, they opened the RSVP Gallery in Wicker Park. It was their vision to elevate Chicago's streetwear scene. I'll always remember the first days of sitting in RSVP, wondering how we were going to make a dream come true that and the neon lights i always said he had the power of uh always uplifting something like someone would present a horrible idea to him and normally like if someone presents a horrible idea do you like i came to you like with a radio show idea that was just like the worst thing in the world you'd be like eh, i don't think that's really gonna cut it buddy um but for him he would always give like this yeah and it, we've even heard people talk about stories of this popular yeah he would kind of say and it was like how drawn out the yeah was was kind of like how into the idea he was if it was a short yeah it was like yeah let, and then he'd continue riffing with it but if it was this long yeah i'd be like yeah it's kind of him like formulating his response of how to take that idea and spin it into something that actually would work while you're feeling like it started with your idea. So you feel like you're part of that process. You know, it's that, that spirit of the positivity that like uh, uplifted anything that you kind of brought in his sphere. Later that year, as a member of the Kanye camp, Virgil interned at luxury fashion house Fendi in Rome. Kanye and him got tighter. And letting shit just flow through as a vessel and clean and not selfish. Then we win because it's a we. I can't save the world. We can Soon after, he was appointed creative director of Kanye's agency, Donda. He then earned a Grammy nomination for his art on the album Watch the Throne. At that point, um, at least from my vantage point covering the fashion industry, Kanye West was known as the rapper who really, really, really wanted to break into fashion. This is Pulitzer Prize winning Washington Post senior critic Robin Gavan. She is currently writing a book about Virgil Abloh's influence on the fashion industry. You know, I used to joke that with most celebrities, 
they turn up at a fashion show and there's this sort of rush of photographers who are trying to get a shot. But at a certain point, Kanye and Virgil, who was typically with him, had become such regular presences at fashion shows that there wasn't that kind of, you know, photographer rush. I remember they're they're turning up at shows and sometimes coming late and not being able to get to their seats and just sort of plopping, you know, on the floor or standing in the aisle. In 2012, Virgil took another leap. He debuted his first brand. It was called Pyrex Vision, and it was less innovation, more commentary. He would buy $40 Champion or Ralph Lauren basics, then screen print logos on them and sell them for $550. So, Robin, how did the fashion industry receive this cheeky concept? That's that's very kind of you to call it cheeky. (laughs) I think that the industry was perplexed a little bit. I mean, certainly prior to that, groundwork had been set for the idea that you could charge scandalous amounts of money for a t-shirt. The idea that um, you would do so for a shirt that you hadn't even made um, was really quite audacious. I found it fascinating that, you know, Virgil made the decision to buy Ralph Lauren shirts because Ralph Lauren represents in so many ways this idea of Americana. He is the designer who has really given America the closest thing that it has to a national uniform. And, you know, the fact that Virgil then took those shirts and silkscreened them with his preferred logo and then charged people you know, hundreds of times more for those shirts, I thought was interesting because he had the audacity to essentially put himself into this idea of the American dream and say that it's more valuable now because of my presence. And the response was that people said, you're right, they bought them. And bought them, they certainly did. Pyrex Vision sold out. He created a fan base, and that fan base laid the groundwork for a monumental milestone in Virgil's life. A year later, he opened his first fashion house called Off-White. Black, white, gray is the explanation of the brand Off-White. This is Virgil explaining the name. I'm a black kid. I identify with white kids. Am I either? Maybe I'm somewhere in between, but Off-White got created with the idea that gray doesn't define the middle of those two things, two absolutes. With Off-White, Virgil played with people's expectations of what the words luxury and streetwear really meant. I mean, I think he was talking about this kind of false delineation between streetwear, you know, and, and high fashion. This is Vanessa Friedman chief fashion critic at the New York Times. The idea that these were two separate things, and if you come from one, you can't do the other. You know, when he started Off-White, he was always very clear about the fact that for him, Off-White was not a streetwear brand, right? It was a luxury brand with all the values and elitism that idea suggests. And people would kind of try and box it into a, a streetwear label, but he, he never accepted that, uh, rightly so, I think. He saw... 
what was coming, which was this convergence of high fashion, hip hop, youth culture, high culture, you know, whatever you want to call it, like that these two forces were coming together and that that market of culture makers, right, um, coming out of the hip hop world were going to become incredibly important. We're already incredibly important in shaping taste writ large. And he was like the, the doorway to that for what is a very cloistered world, which is the high fashion world in, in France. And his fluency was that he could speak to both sides. He could be the translator and connector. It's also not a fashion brand. Of course it is, but it's to inspire kids. If you think Off-White's too expensive, that's great. You're supposed to make your own T-shirt brand. It's targeted towards the demographic that can afford it. But for the demographic that can afford it, it's meant so that you start the competing brand that's better than Off-White. Through Off-White, he released sneakers with zip ties and hoodies with barricade tape. He played with quotation marks, making a scarf with the word scarf printed in quotes, or a little black dress with the words little black dress printed in quotes. That dress is now part of the Metropolitan Museum of Arts collection. I mean, he managed to create a language, a visual language, a logo that now we instantly recognize. This is Choma Nadi newly appointed head of British Vogue. You, you see it all over the world. And I think we kind of underestimate what that means to create a visually recognizable kind of visual language. I think it stands alongside any of those high fashion brands as being instantly recognizable. And that's no small feat. You know, he did that in a very short space of time. In 2018, Louis Vuitton appointed Virgil Artistic Director of Menswear. That pipe dream he told Mark Moran in a Wicker Park restaurant, it came true. Not with Chanel, but with LVMH, perhaps an even more famous luxury house. And he was the first black person to do it. It meant so much. Vanessa Friedman, again. You know, I'll never forget seeing his his first collection and, you know, and, and Kanye was there and... A bunch of kids were there. And he said this thing to my colleague, Guy Trebet, actually, who was reviewing it at the time. You know, he said, look around. There are people in this, in this space that look like me. And there never were before. And, you know, that's, that's what he did. So the, the people changed, so fashion had to change, too. You know, it's irrevocable. He changed the direction of who could be a designer and who designers spoke to in a way that made that brand and then afterwards every other brand, I think, relevant in a different kind of a, a way to a culture that had shifted. It was a first for the fashion industry that never been, you know, that there'd never been a person of color in that role. Choma Nadi again. So the pressure on his shoulders was immense. It's LVMH. Obviously, it's like it's the best of the best and the expectations are high. And he raised the bar there. He raised the bar in creativity, but also in profitability. How how do you think Virgil changed Louis Vuitton? I think he connected it to reality. I think he obviously made it a much more diverse and inclusive place. He really understood where street culture and high fashion met. We don't really think about streetwear in the same way. And there shouldn't be this distinction between what's high fashion and what's streetwear, really. He kind of dissolved that. 
those those worlds were very separate before and the possibilities of of what could be considered high fashion you know this idea of like a luxury designer sneaker he broke the boundary on that and he also understood that like a lot of what's happening on the streets of Chicago New York LA like how the way young people are dressing like that's that's what's next like that's that's what's cool that's that's what's fashion all right i'm going to going to ask you a question here that We've been asking other people in the fashion world that may put you on the slight defense. So just brace yourself. All right. So there are going to be plenty of people who listen to this podcast who may not be in the fashion industry, maybe never interacted with high luxury um, or they may feel excluded from it. Um, So I want you to pretend like you're talking to someone who is just skeptical of the whole fashion industry and high fashion industry here and and brands overall. Why should they care about Virgil Abloh's story and and what's his impact on the culture even beyond fashion? Why does that legacy resonate just beyond the fashion world? I mean, listen, if anyone rejected the idea of like an elite fashion world, it was him. He completely rejected that notion that fashion had to be an exclusive and closed world. He was completely transparent about his process and he was having an ongoing conversation with, you know, the people who were part of his community. He was someone who was totally fearless and right at home in a space where no one looked like him and no one had been like him before he was there. And he really opened the door for a lot of young black creatives. But I think beyond that, he just was someone who wasn't afraid to disrupt. He shook up a system that was very traditional. He introduced the idea that fashion didn't need to be done one specific way. And he proved that you you don't need to have a traditional background to break into this world and do things differently. And you don't need to do things by the book. So I think bigger he was bigger than fashion. I think something that strikes me as we reported on this episode is that even as a man who had climbed to the highest echelons of fashion and society, Virgil's friends and family describe him as humble and kind through and through. I think there were lessons to be learned from him, like his childlike wonder, right? His endless curiosity, his endless enthusiasm, his irrepressible spirit. Like those are all things that we can learn from. It's so clear of, like, his whole message. His whole message, like, his whole career is dedicated to, like, opening up the gate for everyone. And and um, I think that's what made him such, like, a force to reckon with. Very generous, very articulate, well-minded gentleman. And we missed him. In 2021... Virgil Abloh passed away after a battle with a rare and aggressive cancer called cardiac angiosarcoma. It's a big loss. It's a big loss that I can tell you. We planted a tree for him in our backyard and we put a spotlight on it that every night it shines. That tells you our feeling towards him because we love him. We love him dearly and we feel it. Every day 
every day, you know, God is good, but every day is not the same. Emotionally, it hurts. It's a big loss in our life. I always would say it was like, one day he's going to be sitting down in an Oprah interview. Like, to me, that was like, for some reason, the pinnacle. That's Mark Moran. I remember when he passed, it was like, uh, it felt like he had risen even to another level then. Um, I'm a very spiritual person, and I, I think uh, I ultimately think that was him like ascending to the next level. It was like, all right, I've done all I can do. I'm going to like literally change the world through just rising to the next level and letting the world see this positive spirit, how you can be such a positive spirit and make good. Anything is feasible. And I want like everyone to know that you can see that through him. Making Virgil Abloh was produced by Hina Shravastava and edited by Justin Boole. I'm your host, Brandon Poe. Our executive producer is Brendan Benizak. More episodes are on the way, so be sure to press the subscribe button, and we'll see you soon.